Go ahead and turn your Bibles to the book of Esther. Uh, we started last week um, with Esther chapter 1, and we're now in Esther chapter 2. And uh, before I get talking there, I'm going to just tell a little story. It's always good to have a, have a little medicine, have a joyful heart. It's a story about a young pastor fresh out of seminary. And he thought it would help him in his career if he took a job as a policeman for several months first. And he passed the physical examination and passed the oral examination to test the alertness of his mind and ability to act quickly and wisely in an emergency. Among the other questions he was asked is, what would you do to disperse a frenzy crowd? He thought for a moment and then said, I'd take up an offering. <laughs> There's a lot of you know good humor you can take from offering jokes. So in Esther chapter 2, we see a lot of things uh, in Esther chapter 1. And one of the main points I was trying to bring out in the book of Esther is for a book that does not have the Lord's name in it, God or the Lord anywhere in it, how much God is involved in what's going on. And on top of that, how much in the book of Esther is giving us a type or a picture of something that's going to happen in the future. And I don't think it's going to be that much longer. Uh, you know, if we look at our Bible, one of the things it says is as in the days of Noah, as in the days of Lot. Well, as in the days of Noah, he was a preacher of righteousness. And when he was out preaching for all those people and building that uh, ark, nobody got in. And I don't know if you've noticed it recently, but there's not a whole lot of people who want to get in the ark these days. Uh, they're caught up in their lives. Uh, they think it's just ridiculous that people have a belief in a religion. They think it's a crutch. Uh, to which my response is, Jesus Christ is not a crutch. He's the ambulance and everything else, because you can't limp your way into heaven. But nonetheless, there is a dearth of people wanting to hear the good news. It doesn't abrogate our responsibility to give them the good news, but the reality is people are not beating down our doors to get in. And in spite of that, we need to be like Noah and just do the right things. As in the days of Lot, well, you know, that doesn't take a lot of an imagination to expect what that means. Uh, it's not just San Francisco that you don't go out at a night anymore. You can't even do it during the day in places in San Francisco. Uh, and it's getting more like that in other cities. And we've got to the point right now where we got so many letters of these special groups that people don't even know who they are or what they are. You know, I didn't think that, that, you know, I grew up in North Dakota and went to school there. You know, it was pretty simple. There's boys and girls. Uh, you know, we had animals. They were boy girls and they were girl girls or boy animals and girl animals. That's all there was. There was only two kinds. But now they've got all sorts of different letters and things like that. It's way too complicated for somebody like me. Uh, you know, the fact that you have to list out what your pronoun is shows me how ludicrous things have gotten. I, I mean, I, I, and I don't mean that to be hurtful to anybody. I'm just saying it just shows you where our world is at from what God designed with Adam and Eve in the beginning. You know, it wasn't Adam and Steve, it was Adam and Eve. And it wasn't Adam and some other girl that, you know, a lot of people want to make a story up about Lilith and all the other things. We just take the Bible's what it says. The Bible's right. And anywhere I disagree or say something different the Bible, I'm wrong, not it. And today, that's not the way people want to be. They're always right, you know, because they got their news from somewhere and they heard it from somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody that maybe knows somebody. Those kinds of things. But when we come to the word of God, the difference is it's right, we're wrong, 
And no matter where we pick up and open this book, there is something that we can learn from it. There's something we can glean from it to help us in our life. And hopefully you'll get something here from Esther chapter 2, starting in verse 1. After these things, what? After all the things in Esther chapter 1, when the wrath of King Ahasuerus was appeased, he remembered Vashti and what she had done to him and what was decreed against her. Then said the king's servants that ministered unto him, let there be fair young virgins sought for the king and let the king appoint officers in all the providences of his kingdom that they may gather together all the fair young virgins unto Shushan the palace to the house of the women under the custody of Hegi, the king's chamberlain, keeper of the women and let their things for purification be given them. And let the maiden which pleaseth the king be queen instead of Ashti and the thing pleased the king and he did so. So the first thing is we know that that, uh, uh, some things are changing and there's a different connotation to what's going on here. So the first thing we see is in verse one is after these things, when the wrath of King Ahasuerus was appeased, let's just face it. There's some people and it may be you, maybe it's not you it might be somebody, you know, when you get mad, you don't just get mad. You get ticked off and it stays that way for a long time. Uh, some of you, you know, might have some Norwegian blood in me like I do. I don't get mad that often, but when I do, I tend to get really mad. It's, it's, it's not one of those like, uh, you're putting it in low one or low two. You know, that, that's not me. It's put the foot all the way to the pedal when I get mad. It's like, if you're gonna do it, just totally blow up and make a big deal out about it and stay mad a long time. That's my Norwegian blood. That's what I have to ask the Lord to help me with. Whereas there's some of you that, you know, it's just like a little, you know, a little lurch. That's, that's all the, that's all the angry you have. I mean, it's just a little lurch, you know, you exploded, you did whatever, and you're done. It's all over, out of sight, out of mind. You know, that's not everybody. In this particular case, I think he's tending more towards the Norwegian side of the scale than, you know, one of you uh, just small, you know, lurching people. But it says, when he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what was decreed against her, all these things come back in his mind. And that gives us an example. A lot of times when you're angry, your thought process is, is just messed up. Do not make decisions when you are angry. Why? You're not in your right mind. Uh, it, it'd be no different than when you're under, you know, you go to the doctor and the doctor gives you some medications. They will tell you, do not make any, you know, life changing choices right now. Don't sign any legal paperwork. You know, all those kinds of things they tell you. It's the same thing when you're angry. You are not thinking things through. You're not able to ask God to help you in all those things. You got to get over your anger first. And that's why it's important a lot of times when we're dealing with people is even if you're upset at the people, it's better to take a time out, get over the anger, then come back and deal with the situation. Now, as a parent, you, you know, that's hard to do sometimes. As a parent, you know, you're in the heat of the moment, stuff is going on, and you just want to let your anger just come out and just deal with all that. Well, is that how God deals with you? Have you thought about how God deals with you with his righteous anger? The anger that he has every right to have. Does he blow up at you? Well, that's our example of how we're supposed to deal things with, here with anger. Um, and then we get the, the king's servants say, well, let's go out and let's just gather up all the virgins of the kingdom. Okay, now this is not a small deal. You're talking from India all the way to Ethiopia and Egypt. Well, yeah, let's just gather them up. Can you imagine how many young ladies got just hauled up and off they went. Uh, we talked about last time. Can you imagine being one of those young ladies? You get hauled from wherever you live. You're now in the capital. You don't speak the language. You don't understand the culture. 
and all the things that are going on here. What a scary thing that would have to be if you were one of them. And in the next, uh, or let me back up for a minute. Now let's t- think about this a little bit prophetically. Turn over to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, and we're going to look in verse 1. And it says, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. So the Bible has two kingdoms. It talks lots and lots and lots about the kingdom of heaven here and the kingdom of God. Which kingdom is the kingdom of heaven? Does anybody remember? Physical. It is a physical, literal kingdom here on this earth. That's what the Jews asked for. That's what you see with the disciples the whole time. They're going, Lord, when will you bring in the kingdom? They want to know when is the kingdom coming when the Jews are on top of everybody else? You know, you promised here thousands of years ago in your book that we're going to be in charge of everybody else. When's that happening? And that's what it's talking about here in verse 25, verse 1. And why don't you turn over to Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14, and we're going to look in verses 3 and 4. And uh, let's start, let's read verse 1. It says, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Sion, and with him a hundred and forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven as a voice of many waters, and the voice of a great thunder, and I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sang, as it were, a new song before the Lord, and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. They are which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. They were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb. So if you know any Jehovah's Witnesses, this is the key verse for them. They all, you know, some of them think they're going to be one of the 144,000, even though by their own accounting records, there's been way over 144,000 already and things just don't work out. But the amazing thing is for having a big deal about that, a lot of them think that they're part of that. And I'm sorry, they've been married. They got kids. They don't meet the requirement here. And part of that is we have to think back to the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was a virgin. He never got married. He never had a wife. And he talks about it very specifically that if you really want to be sold out for the Lord, then one of the things is God may ask you to give up that that capability, that right that you have to have a spouse. Why? So you can be wholly focused on the Lord. Because if you're married and you have children, either way, you have things that are going to occupy your mind, male or female. As a husband, you have a wife to take care of. You have a responsibility to take care of her, not just physical needs, but emotional needs. You know, that gets a lot more complicated because there's not always a right answer. Uh, I don't know about you, but I told my wife when we got married, I don't get hints. If you don't tell me very plainly, I am not going to know. It just... Sorry, just I, God give, did not give me a discerning spirit where I can look at you in the circumstances and figure out what's going on. I have no clue. Maybe you do, and God bless you if you have that particular clue. But God very specifically said in the apostle Paul's cases, Paul said, if you're, if you are a virgin and you dedicate your life to the Lord, it is going to be easier. 
It really is because you're not going to have all the responsibilities of children and a spouse and all the other things going on that are going to be a pull on you and take you away potentially from a ministry God may or may not want you to have. Now that I'm not saying that pastors and associate pastors and everybody else should not be married. Uh, contrary, I think they should be. I think things work better when they are. Why? Because one, a wife can help you. She's supposed to be a helpmeet. That means she can show you some of the things you need working on. Sometimes you don't want to listen, but you probably should. You know, they're trying to help you be a better person. Additionally, you're going to learn some things from your wife that you're not going to know otherwise. Um, uh, I don't know about you, but there are many boys who grew up in a household without any girls other than mom. They are clueless about girls in all sorts of different ways. You know, there's this thing that happens about every month with girls that their emotional status may change slightly. I happen to know of a, of a person in the ministry who had no clue about that as a 20-something-year-old. Uh, you know, there are a lot of things. If you don't have sister, now there's all sorts of bad things. Your sister's beating up you on you and all the other stuff that can happen if they're older. But nonetheless, there are some things you can learn from having sisters that you may not ordinarily know. And so a lot of that is all of that takes time. All of that may affect your brain. If you have sisters, as a young person growing up, you may feel some protective and some other things that you need to do to take care of them, you know, when they're not irritating you and, you know, doing all the other stuff. That's what Paul's talking about is my focus is only on God and what God's purpose for my life is, not the other stuff. And he says, hey, this is not for everybody. He's very specific about it. He said, let's just face it. There are some people that the way that God wired them, they better get married. Otherwise, there's going to be a lot of trouble. It's it's just the way it is. And so we see these virgins here. And the requirement here is that they were fair young virgins. See, if we were just going to say, okay, all the virgins in the kingdom, that could be a huge number. Uh, You know, this isn't like it used to be. When I was growing up, uh, let's, let's just face it. Were there people who were in high school who were not virgins? Absolutely. But the majority of people were. The majority of the people were. And that changes over time. Uh, let's just face it. Innocence no longer has a place in things. Uh, our society, our educational system wants to make sure before a kid gets out of first, second, and third grade that they have no innocence left in them whatsoever. They want to make sure they know every little gritty detail of being an adult, except for the parts of being an adult that probably would actually be helpful to them. And that's unfortunate. But here the king's saying he's going to bring a whole bunch of virgins there. She's, that means these girls are pure. That means they're clean. I think every young man, the first thing he ought to be looking for is a clean, good girl if, if he's going to be start looking for a girl. Let's just start there. Where did you meet her? If you met her at her bar, you might as well put an X through the spot right there. Because if that's the whole area that you're dealing with, and that's where you're thinking you're going to get your girl from, what is it that you're looking for? Are you looking for a drinking buddy, or are you looking for somebody to be a helpmeet for the rest of your life? Now, I understand God can still use that and work things out. I'm just saying, pay attention to where you're, you're looking for people from. Same thing with young ladies, you know. I'm, my personal thing is, um, if you can find them in church, so much the better. That's where I found my wife. Or God led me to, more like I didn't find, you know. 
Because you can't really say that when your wife comes up with one of her with one of her friends to say hi to you, and you have no clue who anybody is in the entire church other than your parents, pretty much. Uh, you know, you can't really say that I found her. You know, I just kind of showed up where God put me. Uh, but nonetheless, is sometimes we don't think about the fact is who are you trying to go find? Who are you trying to look for? So what the king's saying here is he's looking for fair young virgins. That means one, she's got to be you know kind of good looking. You know, that means, you know, in the grand scheme of things, he's not taking just anybody. I think the most beautiful thing in the world for a young lady is to be innocent. I don't think there's anything better than a young lady be innocent. She doesn't need to know all the stuff. She doesn't have to be decked out with like eight pounds of makeup and as many surgeries as her parents can pay for so she can look like some movie star. Um, I think the true beauty is a, a young lady who's saved and trusts the Lord and wants to do whatever the Lord wants her to do. And she's already prettier than anybody else you're going to find on the newspaper. And that's what the king's looking for in this particular case. Um, and remember, the king can do whatever he wants. He, you know, he is pretty much unlimited for the most part. This is no different than Daniel chapter five, where, uh, Nebuchadnezzar has all of this power and all of this capability of what he can do, it's no different. Uh, we can see these things that as uh, in the book of Esther, this king's bringing all of these ladies there. And understand, here's how it plays out for those ladies. They're going to do their year-long purification. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And then they're going to be presented before the king for a night. And then if the king doesn't call them by name... They're just going to hang out in the palace in this other, you know, ladies' palace for the rest of their lives. They're never going back home. Things didn't work out. Too bad. You can't go back home now. You've been with the king. You know, there's some pretty good spiritual application in this sense is if you've been called by the king and you got saved by the king, don't go back to the world and don't go back to where you came from. Leave those cheap beggarly things away and yeah, you may not be all that you could be. Because see, here's the thing with our king. He wants to use you. He has equipped you with special capabilities and talents for his glory. And he wants you to use them for him. But you don't have to. You can say no. That's that's no big deal. A lot of people do. You know, a lot of people may start off and they may be, you know, they'll be here up at a church service somewhere and they may be singing. And they may have a great voice. And they may have started using their voice for the Lord, but that's not where it's at now. They're out to make the do-re-mi. They're out to be somebody or something. Well, that's not what God gave you that voice for. That's not why God gave you the talents. You have several people in your church that can play a piano. I mean, like, and stay in tune and in rhythm and, you know, the one they're actually expecting to sing to. Uh, some of us can't do that. Praise God for those talents that they're using here. But God didn't give you those talents to go out to the bar and play at the bar so all the drunks can have something to listen to while they drink. That's not the purpose of those talents. And we are the ones that are going to limit what we do. Now, there's an exception to that. Let me put this in here. What God thinks he wants you to do and what you think you should be doing may not be the same thing. You may think you have certain talents and capabilities and God goes, those aren't the ones I want to use. It may be something else, but it's like, yeah, God, but I like this one over here. No, this is the one over here. You know, those kinds of issues. 
And as we see here, just think about these young ladies is when they leave, you know, they maybe understand a little bit what's going on, but the implications, they don't really understand until later. There's a lot of choices as a young person that we make. We do not really understand what the long-term repercussions of them are. We really don't. And that's unfortunate. But part of that is being youth. What's youth? You have a little bit of wisdom, maybe, probably not a whole lot, probably just some understanding, maybe, and uh, a whole lot of stuff is going to happen because of the choices you make. And as we get older, that's why it's important as a young person, if you're a young person here, the greatest wisdom I can give you is the fact that listen and watch other people and learn from other people's examples of what not to do and what to do. If we can learn the lesson by watching somebody else, it is going to save you a huge amount of pain, discomfort, irritation, and just all sorts of just not really good times. If we could just watch some other people. It's like a comedian I was watching on Dry Bar. It's uh, a place, a comedy club up in Utah, so they all have to be clean. And he was talking about just... They have lots of ones that talk about mom and talk about other things. And this particular one is he's talking about a Hispanic mom. He says, Hispanic mom does not quote statistics. She does not give you the rules. She just gives you examples. Don't be like cousin so-and-so. <laughs> well, guess what your Bible is full of? It is examples to show us the, what happens when we don't do things God's way. And es- back to Esther chapter 2. Back to Esther chapter 2. And at verse 5, there's a paramark here that lets us know some things are changing. And it says, Now in Shushan the palace there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjaminite. So the first thing is, I just want to give you a, a, a thought when you're reading your Bible. If you see it says a certain man or a certain woman, you better pay attention. God is calling this person out for something for you to learn from. This is like, it's like one of those keys, you know, like some teachers used to have like little things they would do. They, you know, you know, they'd give you little cues that, Hey, pay attention. This might be on the test, right? This is God's version of that. A certain man, a certain Jew, pay attention to that. There's something important that we can learn from this. And so we see here in verse 5, it's this person's name is Mordecai, and it gives his lineage. And on top of that, then in verse 6 it says, who had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captivity, which had been carried away with Jeconi, uh, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had been carried away. So he'd been probably carried away as a very young man. He might have even been a child. Uh, there are all sorts of people who debate about how old he was and how old he was. God doesn't tell us. And he brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother. And the maid was fair and beautiful, whom Mordecai, when her father and mother were dead, took for his own daughter. So when it came to pass, when the king's commandment and his decree was heard, and when many maidens were gathered together unto Shushan the palace, to the custody of Hegai, the Esther was brought also into the king's house, to the custody of Hegai, the keeper of the women." So one of the things that goes on here, you know, depending on the Esther movie you want, she was trying to hide out upstairs and under stuff, but they still found her and packed her away. Okay, I don't know where they got that from, but that's not from the Bible. Uh, that's the unfortunate thing when you watch Bible stories is a lot of times there's a lot less Bible in them 
than there is story. Uh, and, you know, uh, sorry. That's why when we see things and when people, I don't care who gets up here and preaches in front of you or who teaches from you, if it doesn't come from thus saith the Lord in this book, it's not right. Do not believe what somebody says up here just because they say it. And, and believe me, I'm sure a lot of pastors are trying to impart wisdom foolishly, unawares the fact that what they're saying is not Bible. You know, things like cleanliness is next to godliness. Really? Show me that in the Bible. You know, there's all those sorts of things in the Bible. Or they'll port, you know, they'll give you part of a verse. You know, the problem, the problem is money. The root of all evil is money. Well, that's not what the verse says. Abraham had a lot of money. Solomon had a lot of money. David had a lot of money. There are a lot of characters in the Bible that had a lot of money. That's not the problem. It's the love of money is the problem. So we have a lot of people who like to quote the Bible, but they quote it wrong. But nonetheless, back to Esther. Various commentators, I I went through and, you know, a lot of people work through all the things. The only thing I'm going to bring out from one of the commentators is when you read the book of Nehemiah, there are some people who believe that the queen that was there in front of Nehemiah, Nehemiah was Esther. It's possibly, uh, Ahasuerus and Esther's uh, son's wife as well. It may be one of those two things, but it may very well have been Queen Esther that was listening to Nehemiah say, I want to go back to Jerusalem. I want to go back and build the walls and do all the other things. Um, does anybody, if I, if I read through back through here in verse, um, let's see, where is it? Verse 5, Mordecai, Jair, Shimei, Kish, a Benjamite. Does anybody, does any of those names really make you think of something? Saul had something to do with Kish. That's absolutely right. Absolutely right. Um, so if we go over to 1 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 1, 1 Samuel chapter 9 verse 1, It says, now there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of, and on and on and it goes, in verse 2, and he had a son whose name was Saul. If we're going to study anything about the book of Esther and what's going to go on in the future, we need to understand some things about where did Mordecai's family come from? What was their lineage? And being the fact that he is a son of Kish makes all the difference in the world to truly understand the story. Because if you don't know some stories about Saul and Kish, and you're looking at this story in Esther, you are missing a huge part of what's going on. It'll make you understand some of the motivations of some of the people involved here in Esther. And so we're going to see that in a little bit. We're not going to go into detail on it just yet. Uh, let's go down to Esther chapter, back to Esther chapter 2. And in verse 7, it's talking about this, uh, Esther's Hebrew name is Hadassah, but we know her as Esther, and it was his uncle's daughter. And sometimes, uh, this is more prevalent, uh, in the past than it is now is when you had families or siblings or cousins or uncles and they died and there was kids left, the family just, somebody in the family took over. 
That's just the way it goes. Um, and that wasn't just for young people. When I was doing my family's genealogy, I went to my, let me see, great, great, great-grandpa, had to think about this. Uh, his name was John C. Grimes. And after his first wife died, his brother's wife, or his brother died, and he had, a, and it was a widow. So he married that woman. He was like in his 80s. And what was the purpose for it? Well, they didn't have welfare and all the other programs down back then. So it was very common if you were, if your brother's wife died and you were widowed, you would marry her to provide for her, to take care of her. That was a common thing to do. Why? Because there was that bond of family. Uh, families took care of families. Uh, they didn't go to the government looking for handouts. Uh, the government didn't do that back then. They didn't have all these programs. They didn't have the ability, you know, it's like some of the places I grew in North Dakota, you got to go a couple hours to get anywhere. I mean, it's like an hour and a half drive just to go to McDonald's. Uh, you know, you want to go somewhere. Well, you know, one thing, stores are closed on Sundays when I was growing up. So that means Monday through Saturday, you had to go to the store. Well, depending what kind of store you need to do, that was a half an hour drive. You couldn't just do things as easily. You couldn't, you know, they didn't have Amazon back then. You just couldn't go to your web browser and a day to two days later, whatever it was, shows up, you know, with somebody with a little kind of half smile on the side of their rig. They didn't have that. And so one of the things that the people did back then was taking care of each other, taking care of the families. Now, there's an exception to that. The Bible talks about it. If you don't want to work, you don't eat. The Bible is very specific about that. God does not believe in a welfare system that doesn't require you to put something into it. That's the problem with our welfare system. You don't have to put something into it. Uh, if you look back in the dirty 30s and the 20s when all the bank, uh, stock markets, everything else fell, what happened? They had all these different programs to help people, but guess what? They gave you a job to pay you money, and then you worked. So you paid for your keep. You know, it used to be that way in prisons too. It wasn't that long ago. When you went to prison, you had to work off your debt to society, which means what? You had to pay for all everything it cost for you to be in prison. It wasn't all the tax people who were the good law-abiding people that had to pay the taxes to pay for all the stuff going on in the prison. No, you did work there that was to pay off your debt and to pay for you being there. Hmm, that'd be an amazing change today, wouldn't it? But see, some people with bleeding hearts thought it was so unfair that we had people, ma- you know, prisoners making license plates and taking advantage of them. Oh, yeah, you took somebody's life. Uh, you raped some girl. You did all these other felony level cl- things. And you're you're really that concerned about their feelings and that they might get hurt by having to do a little bit of physical labor. I don't care if it's pounding big rocks into small rocks to make gravel. And that's what you do in a prison. I really don't. Why? It's teaching them something they maybe didn't learn as a young person. It's giving them a work ethic. It's giving them the ability to understand there's a cost to things. If I'm dumb and I do a whole bunch of stupid things and I go to jail, I'm going to have to work for it. It's not sitting in there watching cable TV in an air-conditioned room where I have a weight room I can go to so I can get all pumped up and you know put pictures of me on Facebook and, hey, look at me. That's not what it should be. Well, we have people that are so concerned about the people who uh, perpetuate the crimes and not the people who are the real victims. 
the people who are out there that are struggling to get by because of being the victim of crime. In Esther chapter 2, we see that Esther is her Persian name. A derivative of the name of Esther is Easter. It's a derivative of the same name. In Esther chapter 2, verse 8, we see that Haggai, this person, is given a, a position of a lot of responsibility. I don't know about you. I'm just going to, I'm going to make a comment and, you know, it's just a comment. Can you imagine being him in charge of potentially thousands of women? Think about that. All the particular needs, all the gripes, all the complaints, all the everything that's going on, you're it. The buck stops there. That is your job. I mean, I love my wife, but I have no desire to have a second one. I'm just telling you. I can't figure out the one I already have. Why would I want to make it more complicated for myself? But imagine this guy, his job is, his appointed job by the king is, you take care of all of them, you help them get cleaned up, you help them prepare themselves so they can do the best job that they can when they present themselves to the king. I want you to understand, that's what your pastor is doing for you right now. He's trying to do the best job he can to equip you, to clean you up, and get you ready to meet the king. That's his job. That's what God has called him to do. Me, I'm just a substitute teacher. You know, I'm just a beggar telling another beggar where the food's at. But ultimately, remember, any pastor with his heart or anybody that gets on preach before you, what should be the goal? Just trying to help you to get ready to meet the king because it's probably not going to be that long. Uh, you know, if the trumpet blew this afternoon, I would not be devastated that I couldn't come back and teach Sunday school or uh, the PM service. It would really not ruin my day. In fact, uh, you know, if it could come before I had to make the drive back to Chehalis, even better, right? I don't have to deal with all the idiots out on the freeway or, you know, on the ones when you drive down sometimes. Uh, in Esther chapter 2, verse 9, we see something that's amazing that happens. Remember, this guy is in charge of thousands of women, thousands. It may have been ten thousands. Who knows? We don't have any clue how many women there are here. And then verse 9, it says, And the maiden pleased him, and she obtained kindness of him. Can you imagine the character and the person of Esther that have all of those thousands or ten thousands or however many women it is, she was separated out. There was something about her that was totally different than everybody else. I'll tell you what, young ladies. You be a godly young woman who stands up for what's right and stay clean. You are going to be a huge difference than everybody else that's around you. You are going to, you are going to, you're not even going to have to try. There are a lot of other people that are going to attack you and they're going to show all the differences between you. You don't even have to go point them out to them. But guess what? There might be some young man that's out there watching and he's looking at you and he's saying, hey, she's trying to do things the right way. She's trying to honor the Lord. She's trying to be clean. She's trying to do things the right way with her whole heart, not with a fake, you know, because let's just face it. There's a lot of people who can fake Christianity. They do a good job of it. But I'm saying this is a person from their heart. Every part of their being wants to do stuff to serve the king. And they want to do their best job. You find a young lady like that, grab her and hold tight. Maybe, you know, it's like whatever it takes. Why? Providing that's the one God told you to, you know, grab a hold of. 
If it's not, then let go. It's not yours. It's somebody else's. You know, that kind of a thing. Why? Because I am a firm believer that God has a perfect person for you. The problem is we have to wait to God bring that perfect person into our lives at the right time when you're both ready. That's the hard part. Hey, you may be ready. The other person may not. Guess what? You're going to have to wait for that bonehead guy to get his act together. Or maybe it's you. But that's the things that are going on here. So Esther has just, in a short period of time, it is a night and day difference between her and everybody else. Wouldn't that be amazing if God thought the same thing about you that Hege thought about Esther? And it says, uh, continue on, and he speedily gave her things for purification with such things as belonged to her and seven maidens which were meet to be given her out of the king's house, and he preferred her and her maids under the best place, the house of women. The second thing I want you to see right here is Esther's influence on those seven ladies. It wasn't just Esther. Yes, she was the best of the best. She may have been the most beautiful, but it wasn't the beauty that made all the difference in the world. It was all the things of who Esther really was. But look at the next thing is it affected the seven women that were there to be with him or with her. Those seven women were the best group of women that were taking care of these maids than everybody else. Think of the influence she had to have had in a short period of time of the kind of character that she had as a young lady that it affected all seven women that were around her all the time. So, ladies, if I got a group out of your church and I found seven, let's just pretend we brought seven ladies from off the street and they were going to follow you around for a week or so, and then they come back, would we notice a difference in them? Would would that be the same thing? God says, hey, I put some ladies around you. What'd you do with them? How did you change and affect them by your life? Esther's testimony written down by God is all seven women were preferred over all the rest of them. It wasn't just Esther. It wasn't just, well, she looks nice. If beauty is all you have, I feel sorry for you. I really do. Because your life is going to come to a tragic halt at some point in time, and you're going to be devastated, and you may not come back from it. Anytime you have one thing that that becomes embodied in who you are, something can happen and take that away, and then what? You're going to be like my cousin Heath. Back in the um, early 80s, he could throw a high 90s mile an hour fastball in high school. And he was living in out back Montana, out in the middle of nowhere, and they had professional scouts showing up to his high school games. And I think it was between his junior and senior year, if I remember right, I could be wrong. Uh, he got the bright idea with a whole bunch of friends, teenage boys, that they were going to jump off this bridge into the water because it's the middle of summer, and he did. And dislocated his shoulder of his throwing arm and the end result surgery of it meant he could no longer play baseball anymore by one choice. His whole life was wrapped up in baseball because that was the only thing that he thought he was good at. He didn't study. He didn't do anything else. Why? I'll just do baseball and that's enough. And I'll just, you know, that'll be it for the rest of my life. And an honest declaration from him, if you could get him to be honest is he's never done anything since. He's just been hung up on drugs and alcohol ever since. Why? The one thing that he had self-worth in himself of 
got taken away. Young lady, you may be very beautiful and everybody may think you're pretty and all it takes is one car wreck and you may be disfigured for the rest of your life. You may not be able to walk. You may be able to walk, but it's painful for somebody to watch you walk. Your face may be disfigured in such a way that there's no plastic surgery that's going to make you that, you know, uh, 10 out of 10 model. That can all change in a heartbeat. Be careful what your focus is on you as an individual. The other thing I want you to think about um, besides these seven ladies and Esther's obvious impact on these seven ladies is think about these seven ladies. Their goal is to help you be a better you. Those seven ladies, their job was to help Esther be the best Esther she could be, to help her look her best to help her to have all whatever the modern, you know, you know, those different things, like you're supposed to walk a certain way and you're supposed to have the, you know, the toys, toes that point in, or I don't know, whatever it is. When ladies are walking, you know, they're supposed to, you know, stop and they stop in a certain way and have little jet, all those kinds of things, whatever they might be. You have these seven ladies teaching her all the etiquette of the court, how she's supposed to speak. It may be even teaching her a new language. That was all of their job. So ladies, are you the one of the seven ladies for somebody else in this church, for somebody else on the street that you live in or in the town that you live in? Are you trying to help some other people? Are you investing your time to be like these seven ladies were for Esther, to help her to get cleaned up, to help her to be presentable to the king, to help her to learn all the things she needs to learn? You know, the Bible does tell us one of the things, if you're an older lady, what are you supposed to be doing? You're supposed to be teaching the younger ladies. That is your command from God of one of the things you're supposed to do. Why? Because, you know, one day this young lady's going to get married to some knucklehead and, you know, they're going to get married and they're going to realize that, you know, all the movies show this is happily ever after. And then you're going to find out things like he doesn't know he's supposed to put down the toilet seat. You know, and then your wife sits down and you hear your full name yelled. You know, whatever else may happen. I I don't know what that is for you. I'm just saying is just remember as a young lady, there's some things that you've learned going through life that may be able to help somebody else with some of the trials and tribulations they have coming. And some of these are not necessarily one. You know, it's easy to joke at those, but some of those are maybe there may be some disease or some other things going on and you've had to experience them and you've had to go through some really difficult times where you've been put through the ringer literally. And what is that? So God can say, I know this is a terrible trial, but there's some good out of it. I want you to take that, and I want you to go talk to that young lady or that young man and explain to them the things that you went through and let them know, here's what I did right in that, and here's what I did wrong, and here's what I learned out of that whole thing. I learned that God can take these difficult trials that happened in my life And eventually when I figure them out, I can take that as knowledge and impart it to somebody else. You don't have to go through it alone. You don't have to go through these circumstances and think nobody else has gone things through you. Because in a church this size, all the majority of things have probably already happened. There's somebody here that's gone through something. If not, just talk to Pastor Stewart. I mean, he, over the last year, he's probably had it. You know, I'm pretty, I mean, we already know that the, you know, the nurse messed up the IV in his, you know, hand, arm, wherever it was. You know, that's a real fun experience. Uh, if you've never had that experience, my best uh, suggestion to tell you is go to wherever the Navy corpsman, their first post after going to school. I had somebody try to do an IV to me for five times. 
Five is the number of death, and that's what I wanted to make sure happened to that person by the fifth one. <laughs> now, I didn't, praise God. But nonetheless is, you went through some difficult times. You can sit down and be honest with them. You can tell them, here, this is what I went through. It's not exactly maybe like what you went through, but you have some wisdom. You have some knowledge. You have some experience to help somebody else going through a difficult time to let them know you're not alone. And it's very easy to say, well, God is always with you. That's an easy thing to say. But as a young person, you don't have enough of those trials and tribulations to go through to really have a foundation for that. It's still your parents' God. You may be a young 20-something. It's still your parents' God. It's not really yours. You haven't proved him. You haven't had your faith and, and trials and all these other things go on. So those first that you come through, those are hard and they're difficult. And some of them, you may be nowhere near your parents. There may be some young people in this church that are a long ways away from their parents that need somebody to help them go through some difficult things. And that's something God's equipped you with through the trials that you've had in your life. And praise God for that. Praise God for people out of love are going, Lord, do you want me to talk to this person? And God may say, no, I got somebody else I want to talk to him. Just because you've had that experience does not mean God wants you to share your witness. Because uh, let's just face it, you get sick or ill, there will be Christians that will come out of the woodwork you never even knew about, and they're going to tell you, hey, what you need to do for this is this, 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 and this. I know a pastor who has leukemia um, over in Treasure Valley, Idaho, and he was talking about when he got the diagnosis, he said, you would not believe everywhere I went, all these people telling me, uh, what you need to do is you need to just drink olive oil, or you need to do this, or you need to do that. And he's like, I'm thankful that they wanted to help. But there's two things that they're missing. Number one is, did God tell you to talk to me? If he didn't tell you to talk to me, then don't. That's a hard thing. You may have all the answers, but God goes, you are not the person I want to talk to this person with. The second one thing he said is, you may think you have the right answer, but you don't understand the whole situation. And that's just as bad. So part of that is having that love and that caring in our heart is good, but make sure we're the right person to be the right, uh, to give them the right answer. And when we do it, it should always be leading them back to the Lord, leading them back to the Lord, leading them back to the Lord. Why? Because when you're struggling, you need help getting back to the Lord. Sometimes you're down and you're beat up so bad, you can't look up anymore. You need somebody to help prop you up so you can look up again. And that's the goal. So let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for the time that we had this uh, Sunday school hour to study about the book of Esther and some of the people in it. I pray, Lord, for each person who's walked in here today, Lord, regardless of their age, that you would bless them for coming, that you would bless them, Lord, for taking their time and having heart to hear something from your book, to learn something, whether it's a Sunday school down class, class downstairs, or whether it's up here, Lord, that they would have come here knowing that they've heard something from you and that you, Lord, have met some of their needs even today. And we pray that you be with all the prayer requests for this church family, Lord. There's many of them, starting from Pastor Stewart down to the newest member, Lord. We just pray that you administer to each of those needs, that each and every person, Lord, weeks or months later from now can say, it was good that I went through this trial because I got to see God move. And I got to see God do some miraculous things. And I got to see God work in my heart and my mind and, and make me a better person. And we ask all these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and his blood. Amen.